Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us today on today's program. And uh, I am Dr. Lynn Hiles, and uh, this is probably the first time you have seen me on this network. If you have followed our ministry on other networks, you already know who we are. But we just wanted to take a, a few minutes in the beginning of today's program and just greet you and tell you how uh, excited we are to be coming to you today on this network. And uh, we appreciate the, the, the provision of God that has enabled us to expand the ministry into these different platforms. So uh, we want to greet you and say, God bless you. Thank you for joining us. We want you to tell your friends about us. Let me just tell you, first of all, a little bit about us. We are very strongly, first of all, uh, finished work-centered. We, we believe that all truth must flow through the filter of the cross and the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of the gospel. We, we major on the finished work, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ, and what that means in its uh, in, in the sense of it being a finished work. And because that becomes our strong emphasis, we are a very grace-based, grace-centered uh, ministry that, 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 that absolutely declares the grace and the mercy of God. We are uh, a strong emphasis in our ministry is we are declaring the difference between an old covenant and a new covenant. And what we, what we, you know, it was amazing. I was in a meeting last week and I had a, a pastor who had pastored for probably pretty close to 40 to 50 years. And he told me, he said, Dr. Howes, he said, I have never, in all the years I was in, 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 in Bible college and different things like that, never had one class, he said, that I can remember on the fact that the old covenant and the new covenant are two separate things. The new covenant is not an addendum to the old covenant. Moses gave you the law, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so we are a very grace-based, grace-central, Jesus-centered, finished work preaching, gospel message. And that's going to be the theme that we share almost every time you turn in, tune in to us. With that also, we preach the gospel of the kingdom. We believe that the kingdom of God is a present reality. You know, I, if I could just kind of just relax and, 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 and just share my heart a little bit on this first program, one of the things that the Lord began to say to me back uh, some time ago when John the Baptist came on the scene in the third chapter of the book of St. Matthew, John looks at the crowd and says to them, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now before you say, well, I thought you were a grace preacher and here you are already talking about repentance, let me tell you I'm not talking about standing around altars, uh, you know, uh, confessing sin that you've already been forgiven of. Now I'm not against altar services, nor am I uh, against, uh, you know, uh, giving altar calls for people to get saved and so forth. But the word repent is bigger than just a constant reconfessing of your, your sin that God has already forgiven and says, I remember again no more. But the word repent means to change the way you think. It's the Greek word metanoia. And when John said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was saying to them, listen, 
another form of government is coming on the scene. And that form of government is no longer going to be rules on rocks. It's going to be the government of the kingdom of God that's governed by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And in teaching that series, and we have a series in archives called The Government of Affirmation. If you want to, you can order that. Go to our website or you can call the number on the screen. But in The Government of Affirmation, and in this series, I teach how that repentance is not just what you turn from, but it's also what you turn toward. And so although we've turned from law, and we've turned from legalism, and we've turned from rules on rocks, see a lot of people that are teaching the grace message are simply teaching the side of it of what you don't have to do anymore, and you're not under laws, and you're not under rules, and you're not under the law of Moses, and that we're not arguing that point. That's absolutely the truth. There is a whole new covenant that is in force. But in the old covenant, you were governed by the laws of a mosaic system, not just the Ten Commandments, but also the other laws. All of them are, are concluded, 600 and some of them. And, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, you know, and, and you, people will have written to us, at least when we were on other networks, and they would say things like, well, uh, you know, only thing God did away with was, was, was the ceremonial laws. But I, I really don't see any scripture to justify that. I do, however, see where Paul says that the, uh, when the uh, administration of death written on stone, and so the part that was written on stone was the commandments. Uh, when he talks about in uh, Colossians chapter 2, I believe it is, where he says, he delivered us from the handwriting of ordinance. There's only, you know, part of it that was written on stone. That was the handwriting of ordinance that was against us. He nailed that to the cross. Now, what I want to say, don't uh, quit me just yet, is that although you are not under the government of law, when you repent, if you turn from that and you repent from dead works. See, one of the greatest things I think needs to be repented of the, in the church is repentance from dead works. Now, I will say this as well. There are some works that flow out of faith that are not dead works. And, and, but how, but the, the point is this. Dead works are works we try to do to get God's approval. We've already got God's approval based on the cross. But uh, what, what, what a lot of people have emphasized is, okay, there's nothing that we have to do anymore, and there's, we're not up under this law of Moses, and we're not under the, and, and that's absolutely true. Uh, the fact that you're not under circumcision anymore, or divers kinds of washings, or, uh, you're, you, you know, uh, dietary laws, like you can't eat pork, or you can't touch a pig, or uh, catfish, and, and on and on the list goes. We, we only preach the parts of the law that fit our culture. We call that the gospel. But in turning from dead works and in repentance from that, we turn from that government, but we also turn to, it's not what we turn from, but what we turn toward. And I know this is a play on words, but I believe it is in the book of Acts. He says, save yourself from this untoward generation. And I know that word untoward means a evil or wicked generation. But see, the problem is, again, what are you toward? When our hearts turn toward the Lord, the veil is taken away. And when Moses is read, there's a veil over our face. But it's, it's a turning from law, but it's turning toward a government of the Holy Spirit. 
And uh, when, when I, one of the patterns I love to give when I'm sharing this and, uh, is that when the children of Israel, for instance, came up out of Egypt, they were delivered by the blood of a barnyard lamb. And they put blood on the doorpost, took the lamb inside the house, and ate the lamb in the night, roast with fire. Now one of the things that we mistakenly do is we preach that the death of the lamb caused the death angel, or the blood that was on the doorpost, caused the death angel to pass over that house, which is partly true. But what we've done is we've preached that that house escaped because they had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And that's partly true, but that's not the full gamut of the truth. The truth is, is that that house did not escape because there was blood on the doorpost. What the blood on the doorpost said to the death angel is that there's already been a death exacted here. In other words, the death of the lamb was the death of the firstborn. Jesus did not die to give you life. He died to give you a death. He got back up from the dead to give you life. But we must follow through all the patterns here. The death of the lamb was the death of, of, uh, uh, of the firstborn. In other words, when Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me, he was signifying what death he would die. So the cross was God's method of getting rid of who you were in Adam. And Adam, of course, was the firstborn. But God gave his firstborn son to redeem us from the curse of Egypt. Now, uh, they came out delivered by blood. They're on the bank of the Red Sea, and they are being pursued by Egyptian armies, and the thump of horses' hooves and the dust of Pharaoh's chariots begin to arise. And the people have the Red Sea on one side, and they've got the Egyptian army on the other side. They're literally between a rock and a hard place. God puts a pillar of fire and a cloud between them and begins to be their defense. But they've already been delivered by blood, but when they cross the Red Sea, now they're delivered by water. So, so can I say it like this? They've been blood-bought and water-baptized. Now the writers of the New Testament get a hold of that and said that uh, they were baptized into Moses in the Old Covenant, but in the New Covenant were baptized into Christ. So now they've been blood-bought, they are water-baptized, and the same water that saved them when they crossed the Red Sea is the same water that destroyed their perpetual enemy. That's why I'm still a huge proponent of water baptism, because I believe that when you go down in the waters of baptism, it destroys your perpetual enemy forever because your old man is being buried. You are identifying with the death of Christ through the burial of baptism, and when you come up out of the water, you are identifying with His resurrection. So He gave you a death, and then He gives you His life. They crossed the Red Sea, they came out on the other side, delivered by water, baptized into Moses, who was the mediator of that covenant. In the new covenant, were baptized into Christ, who was the mediator of the new covenant. Exactly, though, this is what I'm after. Exactly 50 days after they left Egypt, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. This is exactly 50 days after they left Egypt. Now, 50 days after Passover, after the lamb was slain, the, the lamb is slain, and inaugurates the first feast of Passover. But exactly 50 days later was the feast of Pentecost. 50, the number 50 itself means Pentecost, or the word Pentecost itself means 50. So exactly 50 days after they left Egypt, delivered by blood, delivered by water, 
Now they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, 50 days, during the feast, what would be the Feast of Pentecost, God comes down on the mountain and gives them the law of the Mosaic system. Now let me say to you, the people are standing there and God is offering them a personal relationship with Himself. First of all, they've come out of Egypt based on the Abrahamic covenant. God remembered His promise to Abraham. But He's about to inaugurate a Mosaic covenant. And the moment the people become afraid of God, they forfeit. God said, I want to make a whole, I'm a, you're a, he said, I want to make a whole kingdom of priests out of you. I want to have intimate relationship with all of you. But when God came down on the mountain, the people were afraid. And they said, we exceedingly fear and quake. And, and they basically said this to Moses, you go talk to him. And whatever he says to you, we will do it. And if we do it, it will be our righteousness. That's the wrong answer because your righteousness is like filthy rags. But the moment they forfeited a personal relationship with God and said, you go talk to him, then a mediator system was set in motion and God spoke to Moses and he spoke to Aaron and his sons. In the new covenant, God wants to bring us back to that individual relationship because he says in Peter, you are a chosen generation, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Hebrews, the Bible says, the chapter, I believe it is chapter 12, it says, So terrible was the sight that even Moses said, I exceedingly feared quake. But here's the thing I'm after again. Exactly 50 days after they left Egypt, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, which would be the Feast of Pentecost. When God came down on the mountain and gave them the law, I want you to note this, 3,000 people dropped dead. These numbers are not an accident. 3,000 people died that day when they got the law. Fast forward into the New Testament. Jesus, who is the true Lamb of God, was sacrificed during the Feast of Passover. Exactly. This is not an accident, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly 50 days later, exactly 50 days later, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, they begin to speak with tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. And Peter stands up and preaches a message of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Watch this. And exactly 3,000 people are added to the church. I'm about to get excited. I want to preach up in here today. Because the reality of it is, you say, well, that, why is that important? Because under the old covenant, 3,000 people dropped dead. Why? Because the letter kills. In the new covenant, 3,000 are added to the church. Why? Because the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. So one covenant is a covenant of death, the other is a covenant of life. The old covenant is about a law you have to keep, and the new covenant is about receiving a life that will keep you. And so if you don't remember nothing else I say today in this program, here's a key nugget that I'm after, so that I'm not saying it's okay to act any way you want to. I'm saying that what the law was to the old covenant, the Holy Spirit is to the new covenant. If rules on rocks couldn't govern people, and it, it never did because the end of the law was there was none righteous, not even one. But what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent His own Son. And in the likeness of sinful flesh, condemned sin in the flesh. But not only did He condemn sin in the flesh, but He gave us His very own life. So that in the new covenant, the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It's about receiving His life that will keep you. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. 
And so the Holy Spirit becomes the governor in the new covenant. And so uh, one of the powerful things about that is if you know, if you can, and I think one of the things that uh, I think the hesitations that pastors, preachers, ministers have in preaching this new covenant is I think what they do is they struggle with the fact that they don't believe that the Holy Spirit can really do what He says He can do. But again, I think about scriptures like Romans that says, for they that are led by the Spirit, they're the sons of God. Now the contrast here is what used to govern and lead you before was rules. But now what's governing you and leading you now is the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is to the new covenant what the law was to the old covenant. I think, if, I think I'll just take a moment here and uh, run over here and grab a scripture for you. I want us to go to Romans 8 uh, if, we, if we can this morning. If you have your Bible, I, and I encourage you when you join us every week to, to get your Bible and come, and, and, uh, you know, come prepared to, to really dig into the depths of the Word of God because we're going we're gonna to touch some stuff that I believe is going to bless you. But I'm going to read this to you from the Message Bible because it makes it pretty understandable. But it says, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. What fateful dilemma? If we read it out of King James, it says, there is therefore no, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now uh, that's powerful in itself. But the dilemma that we're talking about is the context of Romans 7 is, Paul is saying, uh, he says earlier in this chapter, this whole seventh chapter is about being redeemed from the curse of the law. And Paul said that, uh, I was alive once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And so he talked about what produced a revival of sin was the revival of preaching law. He said, when the commandment came, sin revived and, and I died. So what's going to produce real revival in America is not sin conscious preaching. What's going to produce real revival in America is going to be grace-based preaching and bringing people to a revelation of what their identity is in Christ. And when they do that, that's where revival is going to flow from. I really believe that with all my heart. And I'm not saying that there's not people who need to give their life to Jesus that need to come and repent. Uh, but, but I'm saying that, that for most cases, uh, we've got people standing around altars repenting of sin that God's already forgiven and saying, listen man, uh, what I want you to repent about or change your mind is I want you to change your mind about, first of all, the fact that you're a new creature. I want you to change your mind about which covenant you're under. I want to change you to change your mind about this performance-based religion. I want you to repent from dead works, and I want you to get a mentality that says, listen, I've changed my mind that I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do, and I can have what God says I can have. That's what's going to produce revival. I'm starting to run out of time here, so I need to stay on point here. But anyway, the seventh chapter, Paul gets in this dilemma. What I want to do good, evil is present. What I want to do is not what I do, but what I hate, that's what I seem to do. And so Paul is on this roller coaster of Victory, not victory. I, I, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm in the heights of feel like, like I'm successful, and then I'm in the mully grubs of, I, I can remember the days when I sat under legalism, how I felt on Sunday night like I could leap a tall building with single bound, but on Monday morning I feel like I'd hit the ground and, and fallen flat because I'd lost that victory that was only a shouting victory or a momentary passing thing. But Paul gets into what's going to, he said, there's therefore now no condemnation to them. The fateful dilemma that he, with the arrival of Jesus, that fateful dilemma is resolved. What one? That, that roller coaster ride 
of in and out, up and down, when I want to do good, evil is present. He's dealing with what's going to get you off of that religious treadmill. He said, those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer live under a, lo- a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ. So the new power that is in operation in the new covenant is the indwelling spirit of God. See, the Holy Spirit does more than just make you speak in tongues. He becomes the very life that empowers you, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He didn't just give His life for me, but He gave His life to me, and if I've got any sense at all, I'll let Him live His life through me. But let me go on and, and, and finish this, because I at least want to get this in on this program. Uh, those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded life of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the juggler. I like that. When He sent His own Son, He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant in His Son, Jesus. He personally took on the human condition and entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code weakened as it always was by, was by fractured human nature could never have done that. In other words, the law code couldn't produce this. It couldn't, it couldn't, it couldn't set right. It could, nobody made it into covenant righteousness based on their performance. The law, I like this, the law always ended up being a band-aid on sin instead of the deep healing of it. Man, I, I'll tell you that'll preach. One of these days I'm going to get a box of band-aids and I'm going to get somebody to start to preach sin consciousness. And every time I preach a sin consciousness and start saying, stop this, don't do that no more, browbeating God's people, then I'm going to take a band-aid and put on them. And I'm going to have somebody, and just, I'm just going to put band-aids all over them everywhere. And then I'm going to stop back and sing that commercial. I'm stuck on band-aid. <laughs> Those band-aids stuck on me. That's how we look in the Spirit when we're trying to use the law to heal the problem of the sin issue in the human family. Jesus said we didn't deal with the deep healing of it. All we did is put a band-aid on it. And then I'm going to start preaching grace, and I'm going to grab that band-aid, and I'm just going to rip it off, because that's how sometimes the grace message has been to people, is it feels like somebody ripping the band-aid off. And sometimes the band-aid just needs to be ripped off quickly so we don't prolong the pain. But I'm telling you, God is not interested in putting band-aids on sin any longer. He's interested in the deep healing of it. Make no mistake about it, at least for this ministry, those of us who preach grace are not trying to give people a license to sin. We are trying to point you to the only thing that can cure the sickness of the human family and to raise them up out of a... A repetitive cycle of victory, not victory, failure, weakness, success, failure. I'm telling you, this is going to become an even plane when you realize it's not by your might or your power, but it's by His Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Let me read on. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of the deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts... Simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. See, the government of the Holy Spirit is what changes and transforms the life of the believer. 
When I think about even the Apostle Paul who would say in Romans, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I, from my old days in classical Pentecost, when I think about be not conformed, I can remember taking a bunch of spiritual whippings over this verse, man, because what they thought, be not conformed to this world. And we preached whatever concept of worldliness we thought. I mean, we preached against everything from devil's food cake to deviled ham to haircuts and how you dress and watching movies and, you know, and we, we, we called that, you know, being worldly and being conformed to this world. But really the context of Romans here is not being about uh, being conformed to this external cosmos, cosmetic world in the sense of going to a movie or wearing a certain kind of an outfit. What he was talking about is if you are under law, you are under a message of conformity. Here's the rules, conform to it. And we can get people's behavior to change by giving them rules. But only grace can change the heart. The gospel, uh, or the, the, the Titus writes, it says, For the grace of God hath appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. It is grace that frees men from sin, not law. Uh, it is grace that brought us safe thus far. It is grace that will lead us on. And when I think about the grace of God, being a teacher to teach us to deny ungodliness and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, instead of redoubling our own efforts, instead of making New Year's resolutions, instead of saying, I'm going to try harder the next time, or I'm going to double my efforts. He said, no, no, just enter into embracing what, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. And when we allow the Spirit to do the work, He doesn't conform us, He changes our heart, and He transforms us. That word transform is the Greek word we get our word metamorphosis from, from, excuse me. And we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the renewing of our mind is the renewing of our minds to who we are in this new creation, in this new covenant. And he goes on to say this, those who think they can, can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's Spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into an open, into a spacious free life. Focusing on God, or uh, opposite, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, leads us out into a spacious free life. Focusing on self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what He is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. But if God Himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of Him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God won't know what we're talking about. But for you who have welcomed Him and who He dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourselves experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God uh, uh, lives in breathing, you need to as surely as did it in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life with His Spirit living in you. Your body will be as live as Christ's. We're about to run out of time. Tell your friends about us. Call the number on the screen. Uh, become a partner with our ministry today. Help us to continue to carry the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom around the world. Your help is greatly needed and coveted. We appreciate you watching. Tune in again next week at the same time. God bless you. 
For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.